Hi, I'm Keith Billis, and this is Live in the Lab. All right. A little bit of weirdness in front of the camera there for anybody who's watching. So I'm like, hey, where's the button? Where's the button? I can't get it going. How did you go viral on TikTok? You were on America's Got Talent. How much do you get paid to be on AT? Oh, you didn't get paid. Keith and Steve here in Live in the Lab. You're a great interviewer. I love it. 48 miles, 48 hours, not just once. You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> I hit 50 last time, and I'm like, yeah, things are a little different than they were 10 years ago. So trust me, things are to keep. You have no time for the BS that much yeah. of society seems to put on the table. Why is that? Like, what you're talking about is real right now. Right? There's just no bullshit here, but it's just reels we brought you in with some marley i said joseph let's talk music for a second you said well keith oldies 60s 70s and 80s i've never talked to a sir before why are you a sir in many ways we're the same story i came from nothing you came from nothing i think the old saying goes that if you want a trophy you climb everest if you want respect you climb k2 i've built an ai myself and it's pretty fascinating when you can have a conversation with yourself with your own home have you done that before why are we rushing to make these tools if they're all they're going to do is hurt humanity does the world need an Oppenheimer moment with AI. What a fun show. All right, there we go. Hey, nation, what's going on? First 12 seconds, gonna grab you. Alex Stein, first professional hockey coach joining us here in the lab today. I'm excited about that. Can you tell? Can you tell in the intonation of my voice? Can you tell that I'm excited? I got a funny story to tell about Alex. He had to, he had to clean his room. He had to make his bed. He had to put everything away. Yeah. Text me this morning. He's like, Keith, I, I, the green screen's not going to work. I, I got to get I gotta get shit sorted out. I'm like, Alex, make the bed, man. Just make the bed. It's like, all right, I'll make the bed. So Alex Stein's joining us in a few moments. I think he's off there giggling in the green room. I hope I'm just offending the hell out of him. But what the hell? Speaking of offending, I got a nice compliment recently. And I want to share it with you guys. Yeah, I want to share it with you too. Somebody said, hey, Billis. I'm like, yeah. I said, Stern, Rogan, Billis. I'm like, hey, I'll take that. I'll take that. Anyways, midweek, rest and recovery. Fuck, it's still in for a run. Yeah, the guy who hates running. The guy with the longest legs in the world. When you guys all meet me one day, you're going to say, wow, fuck, Keith, you're so tall. Yeah, I'm 6'8". Not, says the guy who's actually not 6'8". I'll leave you all guessing. And I'll leave you guessing over there in the corner. You're looking at me. I, I can see you. You know who you are. You're looking me up and down thinking, that guy's not a runner. A runner. Hey, we're here to entertain and inform. I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. If you want to be informed and bored, go somewhere else. You're not going to get it here. Nah. Listen, I got a proposition for you. Before we bring Alex into the lab, I have a proposition for Business Athlete Nation. And here's my proposition for you. I'm looking for eager, hardworking people, Alex Stein, who want to show up. You want to show up every day. Or maybe you need some help showing up consistently. Maybe you want to join me here in the Business Athlete Performance Lab as a creator. Why? Because we're going to build a house of personal brands here in the lab. Brands that enable people to to achieve their big, their hair, their BHAGs, their big, hairy, audacious goals. So if you're a business leader, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're an athlete, maybe you're a copywriter, maybe you're a ghostwriter, maybe you're sitting around a thousand followers, 500 followers, maybe you got no followers. And you're like, hey, I want to build this resume of the future, my personal brand. People buy from people, not from companies. If I'm starting a company, I'm surrounding myself with people with big audiences. And if I'm already a big company, I'm encouraging my people to build a big audience. Why? Because we all build, we all buy from people. And the more robots that show up in the world, the more AI shows up in the world, more mixed reality shows up all over the place. We're all still going to want to buy from people. So consider this consider this your invitation to the lab your chance your chance to make your voice heard because here's the thing i'm already showing up daily i got room in the lab 
We can learn from each other. We could build together. You could change some lives. We'll have some fun. We'll monetize your experience. We'll monetize your knowledge. We'll bring your accountability to the table. We'll show your commitment. You'll have access to accountability partners because we're all showing up daily. You'll have access to the Bapple network. You'll have access to what I've learned up until now and what I'm learning every single day. We'll build your own newsletter. We'll build your own podcast and we'll network. We'll work together. We'll build our businesses together. We'll sell digital content here in the lab. The brand I'm building every single day for people like you, for people like me, for people that show up every single day. There's my proposition to you, nation, or to those that are just tuning in and wondering what this business athlete performance lab nation is. We're a nation of doers. We're a nation of getting shit done. We're a nation of inspiring those that want to get started, but don't know how. That's what we are. So Alex Stein, the invites to you and the invites to all of you listening. Come knock on my door. Come join the lab. I'm only inviting whatever creators want to go to work. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. And here's what I love about all this. Not everybody's going to show up every single day. Those that stick around will win. And if you've seen what I've done before, it's inevitable I'm going to win again. All right, Alex Stein, sitting off in the green room. I'm going to stop the yatter, put it aside, and bring Mr. Stein into the lab and have a good old chat. Our first professional hockey coach. We've had Stanley Cup champions. We've had Olympic gold medalists. We've had business leaders. We've had professional women's hockey league players. Pretty freaking cool, considering who's coming up next. All right. Let's do it. Alex Stein. In my newly renovated bedroom. <laughs> yes, it is. Your newly renovated bedroom, Alex. Where are you joining us from today? I'm joining you from uh, Nantes, France, actually. It's on the uh, left coast of uh, France, about an hour from the ocean and about uh, two hours by high-speed train to Paris. Yeah, so a lot, lot to unpack there. we got a hockey coach from Canada, coached in Germany, now lives in Nantes, Nantes how do you say it? Nantes, Nantes. France? Yeah, Nantes. Nantes, France. Okay. On the left coast of France. <laughs> uh, all right. I, th I think we might have to go there on the maps here in a few moments. But uh, So what took you to Nantes, France? Well, it's been quite a journey. Born and raised in uh, Aurora, Ontario. It's a suburb of Toronto, boy. I went to school in the U.S., got my bachelor's from Georgia Southern University of all places, and uh, continued my education on. And uh, I was in law school, and I had an accident. And I had, it was my sixth major concussion. And it was uh, a turning point for me because I had difficulties uh, reading at that point and you're in law school. Yeah. And uh, then I was asked, I remember I left law school and my father asked, so what do you want to do? And at the, at the time I was at law school, I was assisting a high school hockey team as a volunteer assistant coach, the East Lansing High School. I enjoyed sharing the knowledge. I enjoyed helping the kids to develop and working with other coaches. And I said that that was my passion. I said, I really want to pursue a hockey career. And so it started that way. It started out in that direction. And I started working hockey camps. And uh, that led to a job with the University of Toronto Varsity Blues as a video coach. Two years of that, I actually worked for the Toronto Maple Leafs as well in their marketing department for a year. Sorry to hear that. And yeah, I know we had a, a good discussion about that uh, as a Leaf fan. And um, yeah, and then I was, I, you know, I was interviewing in U.S. college and, you know, East Coast League and American League. And I never got that break that I had tons of interviews, had a great network and was very, very close always. And my brothers mentioned to me, he says, why don't you try Europe? So I contacted uh, one of my mentors mm -hmm. and he contacted a guy in Switzerland who contacted I think 13 people and one called back and they offered me a job in a very, very small town with a junior team that was a partner club to one of the teams in the Swiss second league. Mm. And that's where it all started. So I, uh, that was right after, I guess, 10, 10 after nine 11. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when the that's when the true journey started as a pro, and it brought me to eight different countries and led me on this great path through uh, the highest levels, coaching Olympic athletes, coaching women, uh, coaching the highest level pros, and and what a what a great ride it was. And now I I decided to settle down and stop hockey coaching mm-hmm. and start business coaching. Taking mm-hmm. all of that knowledge from my experience and bringing it into the boardroom. Mm-hmm. And that's where I am right now. And Nance just happens to be where uh, we live now. Slowing down to the, the life where you don't have to ride buses on weekends and enjoying that. And uh, having Saturday nights on the couch uh, with your fiance, or, you know, it's wonderful. Yeah, that, that's quite cool. It's a, it's a cool journey. And I've often wondered how pro coaches become pro coaches because most of them have a journey. And it's, gen- I would say, based on what I have witnessed, it's followed, it's driven by passion. You really have to be passionate about what you're doing to get to a level you really, really can excel at, isn't it, Alex? Absolutely. The other thing, a lot of times it's players, the ex players, players retire, yes. they finish playing, yes. they want to coach. And they usually have the, you know, the golden door open for them and they get jobs. And some people, there's a lot of coaches out there like me that had to take the jobs nobody wanted and had to work um, the lower level clubs and for less salary. And that really, you know, instilled in you the, that work ethic and determination and resilience that, you know, you don't have that opportunity, but you build your own reputation and you have to outwork and out hustle and, and out tactic and out think and out learn the opponents. And that's the that's the way up the up the ladder. If you're non-player, a non-former player. I don't want to forget this question. So I'm going to jump like maybe 48 minutes into our conversation and, just, and we'll rewind back from there. But is it bizarre to you the economics of sport globally or even in North America where the coaches aren't the highest paid? Alex, or not even close to the highest paid on a team or are, are almost like a cost compared to, is it, do you know what I'm trying to ask you? Like, there's just, there doesn't seem to be, I guess, especially in professional hockey, it wasn't until Babcock signed that big contract. I think it was Babcock who said, okay, I'm worth 5 million bucks a year and that's going to be the bar. But up until then, coaches were just pissed on and weren't paid very much money. Absolutely. They, the lower, you, the lower the level you go, they look at you as a cost and they try to save money on you. Yeah. Um, instead of investing in the number one person who's going to drive the boat, you know, CEOs are mm-hmm. making, you know, multi-million dollar packages. And then, you know, senior management is well compensated. And mm-hmm. then in hockey, let's save money on our guy who's going to be the general going into the field with the with the, the team. Touching the so truth every single day. I, I was really, really pleased when... Babcock signed that contract and it started mm-hmm. to perforate into hockey. Mm-hmm. It took off in football a lot faster. They realized the value oh, of the yes. coaches. Yes. I mean, football, I mean, soccer uh, for the North American oh. listeners. Yes, and okay. in the U.S., it was always different. The U.S. always invested money into sports. I, that's why I went to the States. I love mm-hmm. The way they threw their money into sports and, you know, the NCAA, now they're starting to pay their athletes, which is good. And you can see that the coaches' salaries are reflective on the TV revenues that are generated. So mm-hmm. I think now it's leveled out, but coming up the ranks, it wasn't uh, it wasn't always easy. And it's still, you know, like I said, the lower level you go, the harder it is to earn money. C- continuing on this theme, now into minute 54 of our conversation, <laughs> LOL. Is, will there be a day where where the players are running the ship? Like the value in the coach, like look at basketball. Some of these players, 
band together are so powerful, they maybe ignore what the coach has to say. I guess what I'm asking you is, is will there always be a place for a coach or will is are the dynamics changing, Alex? Well, the players always, I feel the players always had power. I mean, I've been fired by players with power in an organization that you go in to change the culture. You ask players to work hard. They had a country club with the last coach. You come in to change the culture. You come in to change it. They don't like it, but they're the superstar on a six figure contract and you're making a you know half of what they're making and so what's the team going to do when three of those players go in the office and say we don't want that guy well a good team a good club that wants to change will fire those guys and get something back for them or trade them or however mm-hmm. um, most clubs will change the coach eight times and then realize you know when the player's contract comes up that he just goes to the next team that's going to pay him better so i do believe that players do have that influence mm-hmm. whether it is you know it's a respect question as well but i mean i i watched yesterday um that chelsea that one of the players wives wrote a tweet to change the manager um because chelsea's struggling with a young team and they had to have meetings because the player's wife is telling to change the coach on twitter or x or whatever it is now so in essence yes they do have power which is why we've had to change as coaches um in the way we coach and the way we approach and the way we have developed personal relationships with the players what motivates them how do i reach them and you have to learn to walk a little bit more of a political line if you will But Mm -hmm. when you're financially compensated on a long-term deal for significant money, now you have power and stability as coach. But how many coaches do they give three-year deals to, four-year deals to? Not many. Mm -hmm. I'm working with somebody right now, Alex, doing some accountability coaching with them. And she sent me a note last week and it was to the effect of why it was working so well for her. It's the first time she's really worked with somebody like myself. And she's like, Keith, you're not my friend. You're not my therapist. You're not my coach. You're not my mentor, but she found me as this human being, you know, quote unquote, in her pocket, in her phone that was rooting for her as the human being. And and she recognized that with me rooting for her, with this other human being, like being really raw right now, Alex, like taking my clothes off, you know, just being really naked as a human being. Don't, don't, don't worry about my, how tall I am, my skin color. I'm a human being. She's a human being. She was, there's another human being rooting for me. And that's really awesome. I wake up every single day knowing there's another human being that's just rooting for me. And I found that really powerful. And I, I, I think, you know, we have the business athlete manifesto. I believe, and I want to ask your opinion on this as a coach, Alex, especially as somebody who's coached professional players. Is it not as simple, yet so difficult for so many, is it not as simple as just obsessing over you as the human being, getting to know you as the human being, what buttons that move you forward, what buttons that support you when you fall, you know, trying to empower you to be the greatest human being of all time, because you don't wake up wanting to feel like shit. So why would I not try to do whatever I can to make you feel like and empower you to be the greatest human and then get out of your way, Alex? I think that's a great statement, a very profound statement. And I look at Jurgen Klopp to me as one of my idols as a manager, the manager of Liverpool. Yes. He he has a human side of him and he connects with all of his players the best way he can. Not all players want that. And he tries to find a way to reach them on a human level, which is what I always strive to do in my coaching career, as well as now with my business teams that I coach, with the mm-hmm. leaders that I work with, mm-hmm. with the people in my private sphere, the elite athletes that I still coach. I try to have that relationship with them where they know that I'm cheering for them. And they know that I'm pulling. I want them to have success and be happy, be healthy, 
And to have that, that's my end game is that. (laughs) And in the coaching sphere or as an accountability partner, you're going to have to push them past their own limit. You're going to have to invite them Mm. to exceed their own capabilities, which is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And the immediate reaction when anybody pushes your buttons that makes you uncomfortable is you're against me. But in fact, what happens is that you're actually not against them. You're for them. You are for your client. They may interpret it. They may perceive it as you are against me. And I've had athletes tell me, I felt in the beginning that you were against me. Why would I spend eight hours yesterday watching video to condense it down and sit down with you today to talk to you about the mistakes you made to help you get better? Why would I do that if I want to make you look bad or humiliate you? That's not my end game. My end game is that you have success and I'm investing my time and my energy for you to have that success because I'm cheering for you. Even if you don't like me, even if you're not the easiest person to reach. I still want that for you. And that's why I I really believe that that human connection, that human side is so important these days, especially with where we're going, to have the relationships with people and pull for them from a human side. That's absolutely what I, that's my core value, Keith. You, You nailed my core value right there. Why can't we be happy for other people and their success? And why can't we cheer for other people? And I think that's, that's what I've been doing and not every player, the players who have that human side of them, who are usually comfortable with themselves, really appreciate it. They like the way you hold them accountable, the way that you support them, the way you push them. The players who are insecure with themselves or are insecure in general may feel threatened by that, that you try to reach to them, that you're trying to connect, they feel vulnerable. And so the pushback can be detrimental. So it's a great conversation because I I always wondered how Jurgen Klopp can go into a dressing room like he does. And in the end of 10 years, have an entire city that can relate to him. I, I idolize that. I dream to be that one day, to have that level of influence and impact in a positive way on so many people. And he's just a football coach, a soccer coach. No, if I may correct you, not just. When we use the word just, we minimize it. And, 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 I, and, I, and I know you'd appreciate, again, as your accountability partner, your new friend, correct you and saying, but not because he's more than just, right? Because often I, I, I'm just a talk show host. You're just a coach. No, actually, I'm pretty damn good at this. And you're pretty damn good at what you do. So we can't minimize our accomplishments with just, right? Um, I'll... Alex, I'm intrigued by the comment you make that some players don't want to be reached that way. What? And then you said it's because you make them feel vulnerable where the player now has to go. Oh my God, Alex is trying to reach me as a human being. I don't want to be a vulnerable human being in front of him. Is that a generational thing, Alex? And are more and more human beings open to being vulnerable than maybe they were yesterday? That's a great question. And I think the answer is it does play a role generationally. I think it always was the case. There's always insecure people. There's always secure people. There were always athletes that wanted to be coached. There's also athletes that know everything and don't need to be coached. And there's also athletes who have talent and just get by and get their paycheck. So why work harder? And if it doesn't work at this level, I'll go down a level and make my paycheck there. Path of lead resistance is the best way for them. There's players and people out there that will lie to get what they want. So that's always been the case. But what I, I really see 
what you're saying now in the generational, the younger athlete today, they have no fear. Mm. They don't, if they don't respect a coach, they don't seem to care. They always seem to have the, the, the paradox of choice. So I'll, I'll go to another team or I'll go somewhere. And they're always finding that path of least resistance. And I do believe that the younger athletes today can be more challenging to coach and to reach, but that's a, from society that can also be from their teachers. Their teachers would experience the same challenges. Um, parents probably experience the same challenges or are part of the, the reason why that's happened. And so we have to be creative. The responsibility on us is to try to create the pathway to reach the player, reach the client, to reach the team. And it may work. It may not work. Our responsibility ends with us and what we can do to try to create that. Their responsibility is whether they accept it or not. And we can't change that. We can only try to influence that. And the more willing the person is to be open-minded, open to criticism, open to feedback, let's call it, that then it can work. And it takes a lot of self-reflection and being open to be vulnerable that people can give you feedback, not to hurt you, not to destroy you, but to help you. And that's something that is very difficult to shift in younger athletes in particular these days. Mm. I, I, I would have thought it's a little bit different, Alex. I would, I would have thought the younger athlete was perhaps easier to reach. And, and what I mean by that is because of their, my perception, level of awareness is higher than maybe emotional awareness business awareness societal awareness and and I, and I would and this their awareness of being a human being yes to your point that also gives them more power because they recognize that well this is a business too and I do have choice so if I don't like this guy you know I'm going to go over here but is it any different than you as the coach of the organization saying oh I don't like that guy I'm going to get rid of him right so it's maybe that's maybe that's kind of maybe the knowledge of the player has increased where they know that it's 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 uh it's as much a business as anybody's I just would have thought that accessing like I think of my son Alex he's 17 I speak to him like I speak to you and I and I say to my kids I have three kids uh 17 14 and 8 I'm no different than them except my years of experience. That's it. And, and my obligation to keep them out of jail and make, make sure they don't get in trouble. Right. But other than that, I, you know, I, I don't want to talk down to you. I want to talk to you like you're another other human being. I don't want to put a title on you as a child or as an adult or as a teenager, you're a human being, right? Some things you're not going to understand, something you're not going to understand, but you see what I'm getting at? And, I, and, 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 and when I see Carter being coached by his, so he plays elite level hockey, he wants to be spoken to like I'm speaking to you and like you would probably speak to me or him. I think there's more players like Carter, Alex. No? There, there, was, there always are players like that out there. There are people out there like that in the executive world as well. Hmm. And- I think what's been happening or what I've observed that's happening mm -hmm. in the last few years mm -hmm. is there's been a, a fundamental shift now in utilizing that 80% or whatever percentage they say we don't use of our brain. Mm -hmm. um, and into look at look at the people who are making millions of dollars by helping people to teach them to be empathetic, to teach them to be human, to teach them to be reasonable bosses, to be understanding. Um, you know, the Simon Sinek's, the Gary Vaynerchuk's, the, you know, the people out there, yourself included in that group who are saying it's okay to be human. And that's where the shift is going now. Mm -hmm. And we've also come from a very, very easy going couple of decades. Um, no big yes. wars. It's starting now. 
Um, and there's been, there, there are, there is entitlement. There mm-hmm. are, we are a very successful, comfortable, especially in the Western world. We're a very successful, comfortable society. Um, we've gone from helicopter parents to snowplow parents to, mm-hmm. you know, um, a different generational way of raising children. Um, and we, we talk to, you know, a lot of parents treat their kids like their buddies, like their friends, and then demand respect when it's time for the rules. Mm-hmm. And what you suggested is talk to your children like they're human and talk to them on a level of respect. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, we say, we would say in the old style, man to man or woman to woman, you know, yeah. like talk adult, let's call it adult to adult instead of parent mm-hmm. to child. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that, that that works for most people and they'll be receptive if they're raised in that environment. But if they're not mm-hmm. raised in that environment and they have a lot of talent in sports, mm-hmm. It can be hit the, the the negative factors can be hidden for a long time until it comes to the pinnacle when they start getting close to the top and there's less and less places and the competition is fierce. I mean, back in the day, the guys could drink and party and, and rock and roll, uh, show up for practice, hungover, and just perform in games. That's all you got to do. Show up every Saturday and put the puck in the net. That's it. And I mean, we go back to the 70s, the, the legend stories of the 60s and 70s from the NHL. And it's the same way in other sports. And now you're seeing these elite level athletes. These, these guys are fine-tuned machines. These are gladiators that are training every day. So that becomes your competition. Mm-hmm. And the characteristics of coachability, of personality, of body language, of those things are what the, the good coaches are looking for now as they're building their teams. They're looking for good humans as well as good athletes, which is also what I strive for in in my career, you know, 23 years. Mm. So there is, there has been a shift in society. And do I think there's kids out there? There's lots of great kids out there. There's lots of great humans out there. There's lots of great executives. There's lots of great leaders out there. Um, However, there's also plenty of toxic leaders, toxic Mm. parents, toxic people. So what, what our job is, I feel our responsibility is to nurture the people who want to be nurtured and try to find ways to reach people that maybe don't understand it or resist it. Um, but ultimately the responsibility is theirs. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I'm hearing us speak as a listener and, and somebody's asking us right now, yeah, but Keith, but Alex, what is a, what is your definition of a good human? And to me, a definition of a good human is somebody that can, like, I, I'm a metaphor guy. I like metaphors. <laughs> somebody that can stand in, I can stand in front of you naked and raw and just be vulnerable and open. Ask me anything. I will cry in front of you. I will share my wounds in front of you. I'm going to share with you how scared I am of certain things because I know you as a human being have your fears. You don't share with people, Alex, or, and, you, and you're scared to talk about because you don't want to be vulnerable. But yet, if you knew that I was standing in front of you naked, you might go, okay, well, he's doing it. Um, and I'm not talking naked in a s- stupid way. I'm talking human being emotionally naked. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and a willingness to listen, a willingness to debate, a willingness not to have force you to drink the same Kool-Aid, a willingness to want to listen to what you have to say, listen to what I have to say, and not even agreeing to disagree, but agreeing to commit. Okay. I hear what you're saying, Alex. I'm, I'll, I'll commit to supporting you because if I agree to disagree, I'm actually saying this to you and I'm waiting for you to fail. So if I agree to commit to you, then I'm hoping that we're all going to win. And if it doesn't work, you're going to say, okay, Keith, I guess my way didn't work. Let's try yours now, right? That, that to me is a good human being where we can collaborate, we can fail together, we can succeed together. What about you? Does that, does that define a good human being to you? Open-minded. I think one of the, the, the biggest qualities that we can develop is to be non-judgmental. Yes, grace, not... 
thank you for bringing that up. That accountability partner, I forgot that word. She says, Keith, the first thing after we met and ever since it's been 26 days now, she says, you, you don't, you've, ca- you've never cast judgment on me. I'm like, no, that's not going to get us anywhere. Like actually it's not going to get us anywhere at all. So I don't know you. I, I, I don't care about anything that's happened to you. All I care about is you achieving what you came to me to help me get, help you get to. That's it. That's, that's the secret. I mean, you know, I was down, I wasn't going through, uh, I've been through a couple of uh, really difficult and challenging times in my life as everybody has. And, and my, my trials and my trials were no more difficult or less difficult than anybody else's. Yes. And I actually was in a really dark place living alone in uh, Southeast Germany. And I was really feeling, really feeling, you know, sad and lonely. And I called a couple of friends as an exercise. I mean, lifelong friends. Mm -hmm. And I asked them a question. I said, listen, I just want you to tell me, what do you like most about me? Wow. And it was a question that I asked because I, instead of beating myself up about what's going wrong or all the things I think are wrong with me or what they might give me feedback, I kind of know already about my personality, about my intensity, about my talk. I like to talk. I asked them, what is it you like about me? And when they came back with, you're the most non-judgmental person that I've ever met. I can do absolutely anything, the stupidest thing in the world. And I can tell you, you'll probably chuckle you'll probably laugh and you'll say and and so that to me is is the greatest quality and the other thing with that in mind that means i have to have the ability to be wrong so i'm very vocal i'm very opinionated and i'm very intense so if i speak something i'm not speaking with a dagger with a sword at you i'm putting it on the table i may say i think that this color is blue not green okay and I'll, I'm, I'm saying that and you're perceiving me as having a direct opinion to you, but I'm just putting it on the table. You say, Alex, it's green. I'll say, okay, show me your work. And now you're going to tell me why you think it's green. And I'll say, well, that's, that's interesting. I, I, and I really am listening to what the other person is saying, not judging them for thinking it's green and just being okay with maybe, uh, maybe it's not blue and maybe they're going to say, yeah, you're wrong. And I'm going to be like, yeah, okay. But now you don't have to stick a knife in me because I was wrong. I've made some bold statements in my time that I've retracted and said, all right, well, okay, guys, that was uh, probably not a good idea. Or, you know, maybe I didn't mean that or yeah, but I held myself accountable for it. I said, yeah, I said that, but I appreciate what you said. And yeah, we'll do it your way. Or yeah, we can try it that way. And that developed over time, you know, developed over time. But isn't that leadership, Alex, being able to state your belief, stand behind it and go for it. And then if you fail, acknowledge, no, sorry. Somebody last week taught me and I, need, and I love learning in the lab, man. He's like, Keith, it's not failure, it's feedback. Yeah. So somebody gave you feedback and you're like, oh yeah, okay, right. That didn't work. Let's hear what you have to say. And let's move forward. Like, isn't that being a good leader? I prefer to, I'd prefer to come behind you and you're like, okay, fuck, we're going this way. I'm like, all right, let's go. Instead of you standing there going, well, 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 fuck man, make a decision. No, absolutely. You see, here's the thing. And I learned this because I was a head coach and an assistant coach. Ah, what's an that? assistant coach. You yes. have the power of suggestion. Okay. Yes. As a player, you have a power of suggestion. As a head coach, you have the power of decision and the consequences that come with those. So if you're in the board of directors and you have opinions on how the team should play or what players they should pick, it's suggestions, it's ideas. In the end, if I do what you want me to do and it's wrong, I face the consequences, not you. If my assistant coach gives me advice, I take it in. And if I don't use it and I'm wrong... I have to accept the consequences of those decisions. So it's very, they call it the armchair quarterback. You know, I can sit there on Sunday and say, hey, look, you know, if we would have done it my way. Well, as an assistant coach, when your head coach tries it your way and it doesn't work, 
Now you feel horrible because the head coach trusted you, tried your thing. And with the right head coach, he'll say, well, we tried that back to the drawing board. Let's figure it out for next game. And that's how you work as a true leader. So when you are a leader, you have no choice but to make decisions. You, if you are in an organization that's requiring you to be a yes man or woman, you are in the wrong organization. Mm -hmm. If you want to be true to yourself and you want to affiliate yourself with organizations that align with your values. In other words, I had to make my own way. My agent told me the best advice I ever had. He said, just do what you need to do. Take a direction, stick with it, believe in it, go for it. They're going to fire you anyway. So if you do what they want, they're going to fire you because it's not going to work for sure. It's not going to work. Yeah. So you might as well do it your way. Listen to the feedback, take in what they're saying, make adjustments. Don't dismiss it because there's value in every suggestion, every voice, every opinion, there's value in it. So take that, make it yours, take a direction and go forward and then sort out the consequences. If it doesn't work, figure it out, be nimble up over around, you know, through, uh, you do whatever you have to do. True leadership is taking those decisions, accepting the consequences and just fixing it. Well, what's unfortunate, Alex, is that I don't know if everybody has the patience sometimes for true leadership because true leadership should actually be fun. You know, I'm watching, so I'm, I'm, I use the Peloton. I'm a Peloton user, but, I, but I'm, I'm a big fan of the business. And what I mean by that is I've been a fan of watching that business come to life, watching it go through the pandemic, watching it stumble, watching it being led by a new leader. What's my point of this? Barry McCarthy, former Netflix guy who took it over a couple of years ago, and I'm a nerd. Every quarter, I'm watching him try something. And then when it works, I'm watching him accelerate it. When it fails, he gets rid of it. And what I, and my point is, is that that's fun, isn't it? Because he's saying, okay, we're going to, here's the next, here's, here's what we're doing this year, guys. If it doesn't work. We're fucking stopping. All right. Data says it's not working. Stop. Another quarter, try this. Boom. Didn't work. Boom. Stop. Oh, this worked. Move. Like that's instead of, hmm, you know, like it should be fun. In, in a, it should be fun to lead with people that support that kind of leadership. Absolutely. And that's the difference between sport, the locker room and the boardroom. Yes. That's what I've really discovered is that in sports, everything is compressed. The intensity of the pressure. I mean, everybody has pressure. CEOs have pressure. Coaches, yes. managers have pressure, but it's very condensed. You're condensing results into an eight to nine month season. And the pressure for sponsorship dollars, TV money, um, contracts, all of those things to assemble a team. You as a manager or a coach need time to work. And that means if you're in, here's what happens in sports. You come into a losing franchise. They're losing for a reason. And normally it's because of their culture. Normally it's because of their culture. You need time to effect cultural change. It takes time and effort and personnel changes and difficult decisions and difficult conversation. And in order to win hockey games or win money or results or KPIs and all of those things, you have, you say it all the time, consistency. You have to change the thinking, which is what I work on is mindset. The way you think right here, right now is mindset. And if we focus on the way we think in the moment, we will do it consistently over time. We will get results. But the overtime part is really skipped over in sports. And they fire coaches, bring in the next guy. If you are a business and you hired a guy to come in or a person to come in and say, okay, we want you to fix our books and we're losing money like crazy. And they come in, they do the forensic audit. They start looking at all the things. They come to you and they say, okay, here's what you have to do. 
You have to change this, cut this, this, fire this, all of that. And the guy says, no, 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 we're not doing any of that. We just want you to make money. That's what happens in sports. We don't want to change anything. We just want you to win. It's your job to win. And otherwise we'll find somebody else who's going to work with what we give them and they're going to win. And that's the problem. And that's the problem in sports. And the hard, the lower you go in the leagues, the harder it is. Mm, I and bet. that's that, that element of time is key. I, I would, so I just had this conversation with somebody. I don't recall who it was, but it was around this idea, Alex, that, Good coach needs 36 months, right? Get your first year of kind of getting your feet wet, learning what's going on with the team. Second year, put your systems in. Third year, you better be fucking winning. Because if you're not winning after 36, you're probably not going to win after 48 or 60. Would you agree with my thought process? Absolutely. Three years. Yeah. Three yeah. years. It's, it's the, the first year you're inheriting somebody else's team. Right. Yes. Okay? Yes. And, this, and, and I say teams now for the listeners out there that aren't sports oriented. I'm saying business teams as well. Sure. You come in as a new Absolutely. manager, a new CEO, you're inheriting a team and the team that you have, maybe you can change the tactics. Maybe you change the work ethic. You can change some coaches. Maybe you hire a better physical trainer, physical preparation. You can change a few things on the outside, but the first end of the season at the end of the first season is where you can affect dramatic change in player personnel moves. So there does have to be some movement normally. And that could be just with people that will not align with the values that the new coach or manager is bringing. In the second year, it takes time to develop. It takes time to gestate. This is something that I think Chelsea, I watched a program that Chelsea Football Club, they bought all these young top talents and they're needing time and they're way down in the table and the fans are going crazy. Fire the coach. They've got a young team. Their average age, I think, is 23 in the mm -hmm. Premier League. Mm -hmm. So... I've had young teams. Young teams need a lot of time during a season. Normally the process, when you're at a top level team, you can affect change. You can see from the beginning of the season when it starts going on autopilot in month three and month four of an eight, nine month season. In lower levels or teams that are not so good, it's going to be five months, six months. And in some cases, they don't get it until the end. And they never make it because you don't have a good enough team that can absorb it and change enough. So that that progress in and of itself, even the second year, you don't come back for start of training camp and it's last year plus one. No, no, you're starting at zero. New yeah. players, new physical, new injuries, guys had operations, um, you know, new personnel's moved in. There's other factors. Maybe people are having personal problems that are affecting their performance. So you're really starting with so many variables at zero again. So if you're starting at zero, you're going to see results in year two in month four, month five, month three, if you're lucky. And if you keep that core group together, then it's going to, that process will speed up because the core group will learn each other. They'll start to, you'll see the relationships on the pitch developing or on the ice or on the, in the boardroom. You'll see people working well together. Well, that's year two gone now. Now year three, you should be yeah. seeing the delivery of the results. Yes. And if you're lucky, you deliver results and your life in sports lasts five years. <laughs> and usually a manager after five years or a coach has to either change some players or because the voice gets to you get tuned out also. It's also possible. The next question in my head, literally, like on the like right on the tip of my tongue now, like it's just about to come out. Do coaches have shelf lives? Sure. I mean, if you have good players, they always say, if you want to be a better coach, get better players. Okay. 
Well, if you if you want to if you want to be a better uh, if you want to be a better uh, sales sales performer, hire a better sales team. Okay, so that's the easy solution. But look at Bill Belichick. I mean, he had success, incredible success. He had one of the best players ever. Mm-hmm. Didn't have the player success. Wayne culture changed his voice, you know, tremble. But he did it, what that doesn't devalue him in any way as a coach. Mm-hmm. He still had success, and he still was a guy who demanded certain way a certain style. So. He had a shelf life, but when you're winning, it's mm-hmm. easy to hide. And you can be a, a guy who's a terrible coach and a good team's going to give you shelf life. So yes. a good a good coach, and I can say this about executives too, a good coach can usually make a team go up one level. Okay, so if you have a, a below average team, a good coach can make them average. If you have an average team, you can make them good. If you have a good team, you can make them very good. And you can have a very good team and make them excel. Okay. You can very, very rarely even make a good team great, okay? So think about that. You go into situations where you have a very poor team and they're expecting you to make them good. So we also have to be realistic on the steps that we make and the gradual progression that it takes to make those. So coaches are the easiest to change. Managers are easier to fire because it's better than firing 20 employees. Or like we say, we can't fire 10 players, let's fire one coach, but that doesn't change your problem. So the coaches are easier to fire. And that's why a three-year contract for a coach is an incredible vote of confidence by the owner and to allow the coach to be free to implement their their systems their tactics their values their culture into the team for it to be ingrained and after that after a while you'll see players changing and then the then the coach can last very few legacy coaches mm-hmm. get self life of a ceo who's been mm-hmm. a ceo of a company for 15 20 years that never happens in sports because everything's compressed mm-hmm. so yes they do a long answer to yes, they have a shelf life, but that's part of the business. I think that shelf life can be extended though by improved communication, constantly improving and working on your narrative and constantly, you know, learning who who the human beings are coming through your through your locker room and and you know never accepting that you as a coach know everything that, you know, if, if, you know, Keith's been here for seven years and this new stud shows up named Alex Stein, mm, I want to learn from Alex. What's Alex learned from seven years ago that he can teach me now as a coach. Uh, I'll tell you, you know, as a, as a dad, who's, uh, so I have a blended family and I was talking about this with my, with my wife last night and, you know, my, my youngest, my, my, my stepdaughter, who's eight, and I got an oldest who's 17. So that, and, and then two, a couple different parenting styles. My point is, is me watching the eight-year-old very different than the 17-year-old and how I've learned to parent differently, uh, c- communication styles, generational, th- a lot going on. It's called adapting. And I think shelf life can, 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 you can extend your shelf life if you adapt as a coach. It would be my thought process. You have no choice. You have yes. to. Have yeah. to adapt. You and you know the the new wave of self reflection, the new yes. wave of trying to look at yourself as to when you're communicating, how are you being received? Yes. Um. And each by each individual, you definitely. I mean, that's what I'm in the business of doing right now. I go into business teams that have problems, and I help them to find the solutions within. They know the solution better than I can. I'm not an advisor. I go in and coach them to find the solution. And also through that process, I coach the team and the leader. And the one with one coaching that I do is where we work on that self-reflection. What's the mindset? What's the awareness of self? What's the awareness of others? And what's the awareness of self, how it affects others? And that's the product that I'm, or the service that I'm bringing to my clients. And it's something that I was blessed in my 23-year career of having some absolutely incredible 
mentors, and teachers. Not all of them taught me good stuff. I also learned a lot of stuff what not to do and how not to cope. And I'm bringing that to my clients to say, okay, let's look in the mirror. Your team isn't functioning. You're bringing me in to help you. And I'm going to coach you and give you different models. And we're going to work on purpose. We're going to work on interpersonal or inter-team communications, external processes, external communicate. We're going to work on all of that stuff. But in the side of that, we're going to work on ourselves as individuals. And when that process tends to unlock things, it unlocks something inside the team that they never had before. The communication starts to grow. The meetings start to be more productive. People start to settle differences or talk about the elephant in the room because they feel safe to do so now. And that's the work I'm doing now. So the essence of it is, is how can we, and I evolve as a parent as well. You know, I made mistakes with my son. He's eight now. And now I'm I'm fortunate to be, uh, have a uh, four-year-old stepdaughter, you know, that I'm working with. And it's, I'm able to draw my experience, but at the end of the day, there's times where I say, what could I do better? I I didn't handle, I'm not happy with how I handled that situation. And can I have feedback and how do I fix this to reconnect? And all of these things that now I wouldn't have known that 10 years ago. And now I know it. Now I've, now I learn it, but that's what I try to say to the clients is be okay with being that person and don't beat yourself up. If you weren't before, just try to become better tomorrow and reflect on how you can show up better in the situation. And mm-hmm. I promise you, if you can do that, most of the time, the situation improves. Man, the, the, the courage it must have took back at the beginning of our conversation, playing with time here, to go and ask your friend for feedback. Because you just used the word here a moment ago and saying, you know, if you, can, if you can accept feedback as a human, and if you can accept feedback from your own mirror, recognize that, hmm, I could have done a better job in that moment with my stepdaughter. It's powerful to, it's very courageous to be able to do that. It's the only way. Yeah. I mean, I, if you get into an argument or your old, whose fault is that? I mean, you yes. know, yeah, like, yeah. so, so really it, it's, and it's, it's that ability to say, Hey, like I, I, I saw that situation and I'm not feeling good with it. What did you see? Yeah. And, and listen to what comes and you're may not, may not like what you hear. And she does the same thing. And that's the, that's how it works now. It's, it's, you know, help each other get better because in the end, you want to show up better for your family, for your job, for your business, for your clients, for everybody that you've come across on the street. Alex, isn't it, is it, is it an admission by, by a CEO or an executive leader of an organization that their management group isn't working very well if they bring in an outside coach? Well, in the sports world, if you bring in a sports psychologist or a, a coach in the middle of the season, and the media smells that, I tell you, it's in the newspaper the next day that the panic buttons are being pushed and everybody's asking the coach if he's going to be there next day. So I I think that the best way to do it is what I'm doing, because I also am developing a service for sports club, because okay. I want to work with clubs to help the clubs that I'm helping, like I'm helping businesses, because the clubs need help in developing their uh, organization and their relationships within the organization, the level of trust and safety and the communication and how they how it permeates into the team and in order to do that if a manager brings me in at the beginning of the season and i say let's start a relationship and i'm going to come in and i'm going to run a workshop you know once a month and i'm going to you know show up once a month we're going to stay in touch i'm going to coach whoever wants to be coached individually yeah and help them with their mindset athletes staff coaches. And if you start at the beginning of the relationship with that, even though you're external, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a panic button decision. I think it's something where you're saying, Hey, 
let's just bring in this person who's going to coach us all and help us who understand sports, who understands business, who can help us to develop to be a better organization. And that will trickle down to the athletes. And in the business world, let's be a better team. Let's be a senior manager, better senior management team, a better leader. And that's going to trickle down to the employees all the way down the chain, which it will, and eventually to the customers and our customers' customers, to the fans, to the sponsors, to their customers, to their friends. And so you're, you're changing an ideology and it does take a long-term relationship throughout the season. It's not something where you bring me in in the last month and say, we're in deep trouble of, you know, in, in Europe, they can be relegated down a level. Mm -hmm. So can you come fix this for us? I can't fix it. You can fix it. But let's work on it from the start of the season. So if you work at it from the start, which is what I try to encourage the clubs to do, then I don't think it's a panic button. I think it's just, hey, we're going to bring in somebody who's going to help us get better. Why not? Why do we always help the athletes, but not help the club, the organization? Let's help the whole organization or if you bring it in in the last minute or sports psychologist in the last yeah that's an admission that maybe things are really bad and we need help but in the business world where you have time unlike sports because the season ends in sport in the business world if things aren't working what are you waiting for ask for help why not it's not an admission of guilt of of, of poor leadership it's just saying alex i got something that's going on in my team and it's just not right can you help me and i say well let's have a conversation let's talk about it and that's where it starts and it's not an admission that something's wrong in the business world because if you as a leader feel something's wrong, then do something, take action. Why not? I had a conversation with Jacob Turner, former major league baseball star in the lab uh, 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 earlier this month. And he, he said to me, Keith, what struck me when I left pro sport and got into corporate business, <laughs> how low the bar was in terms of like performance. It's like, oh, Alex is not performing. Okay. We're going to put him on a performance plan for 90 days. And then we'll check in with him. And, and, and he said it frustrated him and he had to learn the new pace of of the corporate world compared to when he was pitching Turner, you suck, get off the mound, you're fired or you're on <laughs> the team, right? Like it's just under it's, the minors, right? Yeah. Like so cutthroat. Right. And, and I got to tell you, I, I, I've got to tell you, Alex, because I, I you know, I, I successfully ran a business for the startup and sold it and then was a CEO in, in the corporate world for the longest time and frustrates the hell out of me. Everybody talks, talks, talks about performance, but then when you come down to actually want to implement the changes that are required for the organization to do what it needs to do, nobody wants to make the decision. They revert back to, well, and you know, I'm all about the human being. I'm obsessive about the human being, but if it's not the right human being in the chair, we got to get a different human being. It's not really actually complicated because we'll never achieve our goals with the wrong human beings in the right chairs. Do you know? That's what frustrates me often. And I think as a, as a sports coach, I work with anybody as long as I can and yes. as hard as I can to help them. But there comes a point where we have to make a decision where is there enough change? Is there any change? Or is it always going, are we going in circles? And at that point you identify, absolutely help your, if you have an employee who's struggling, help them. Absolutely, it's your duty to help them. Help them try to find out what's wrong, help them, give them support and, and empathy and be okay with helping them and don't put pressure on them to change overnight. Mm -hmm. Give them time. Give them support and see what comes, see what happens naturally, allow the process to evolve over time. That's why my, my business team engagements 
are normally six to eight months. Okay. It's a long-term engagement. Why? Because it's the only way that the long-term benefits of working constantly over it are going to start to take place where it's sustainable. If I go in for a weekend workshop, if I do a weekend workshop or a two-day workshop, it's great. There's a lot of great stuff in that. But three weeks later, some of the employees write me and say, well, that kind of went out the window, you know, and uh, it's on paper, but you know, nobody's doing it. And so now there's no accountability. So you have to give things the proper investment and the proper time. Now, otherwise you have turnover and turnover is expensive. So yes. why not start with what you said? I agree with it. Hire the right people, really vet your process of how you're, you're right. Hiring the right people in the right chairs with the right values that align with your company and give them the proper support and coaching along the way to help them have success. And that's the way you maintain, you retain employees. And that's, in the end, good for bottom line. If you retain coaches and players in sports, you start to develop chemistry. You start to develop over time, a team that can perform consistently and a business team to perform consistently. So I believe in the human that, that I believe in the human side of it. We have to support our people and really help them. But we also have to draw a line at a certain point when it doesn't work. And in the meantime, give them the support that you can and, and be there for them and give them a safe environment where if they make mistakes, they're not going to have a gun to their head. Cause that's mm -hmm. nobody likes to work like that. Mm -hmm. and, and then, and then if it's not working, you know, I, I, you know, what I like to do here in the lab is make suggestions, recommendations, and you know, have our audience make decisions, but maybe if it's not working, make the responsible decision and help that employee out, but then obsess over helping them to their next. Like, could imagine, imagine if you're, if you know, if some team fired your ass, Alex, but then said, okay, we are going to obsess over helping you find your next job. Like, just obsess. We're going to assign somebody to you. Want to make sure you're feeling okay about yourself, and and then we're going to help you find a job. We're going to go and help you find a job because just because it didn't work out here doesn't mean that we don't believe in your ability as a human being to go somewhere else. I don't know. If the, if the problem's gross misconduct, okay, I get it. All I right. agree with you. Yes. However, I heard your other podcast where you're saying, I want to help you. I can write you a letter of recommendation. Um, if you go out and search for jobs, tell me, and maybe I can help you. We know you're not a good fit here, but maybe you'll be a good fit somewhere else. And your strength, you have strength. Every employee has strength. Yeah. Every employee has weaknesses. So let's play to their strengths. Let's work on them, teach them their weaknesses, show them that, see if they'll work on it and allow them the responsibility to do so. But I absolutely agree with you. Let's help people find the next step or give them severance enough that they have time to get help. Um, you know, the letter for unemployment that they can get unemployment insurance if they have it. Um, just to help them be okay. And that's that's so important. I think we owe it to to even an employee you inherit that was a problem to the administration or coach or whatever before. Let's try. Maybe we won't rescue them. But if it doesn't work, unless it's gross misconduct or belligerence or you can't recommend them because you're also on the line. Yes. Then I get it. But in the meantime, let's help as many people as we Because what it does do, Alex, is it actually reflects upon Jacob Turner's comment about lowering the bar. Because what I'm now saying is that, again, put the gross negligence aside. Look, it hasn't worked out over here. Um, you're an awesome human being, Alex. Let's go. Like, we're going to go find you, get a job somewhere else. Instead of pretending we're going to try to make you better and keep investing money and pretend, 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 pretend. We're not helping anybody, actually. We're not helping the organization. We're not helping Alex. We're all just pretending. So why don't we, instead of wasting the money on pretending, invest the money on helping Alex get his next job and then invest the money on finding the right human being and then 
stop pretending. You follow my line of thinking. Absolutely. And isn't the responsibility of the reputation of the leader, of the leader's decision yes. to fire the person and what they do with that after? Do they blacklist the person? Do they badmouth the person? That reflects on a bad leader. Okay. If your job is to make sure that person never works in the business, and this does happen in hockey and in sports, I promise you, people will make sure that you don't have success because if you have success somewhere else, it shows that they made a mistake to let you go. And that's not, that's a reflection on their character as a leader. And I think that if we as leaders are letting people go or make decisions, we have to help them in every way that we can in order to make that, that transition easier. And that reflects on us yeah. as how we handle that. And I agree with you. We need more leaders with the human side and we need HR with the human side. It's not an employee number. It's a person with a family, with a father, with a mother, with kids. And we have to think of those things when we're letting people transition into their next phase of their life. Alex Stein, I've enjoyed the human conversation with you today. Uh, thank, thank you for you. joining me in the lab. I appreciate it. It was absolutely wonderful. And if you ever need me, uh, give me a ring. I'm around. <laughs> Yeah, you said at the beginning, I like to talk a lot and people are like, yeah, I a lot. So, and I think uh, our friend, our mutual friend, Patrick, uh, Patrick Mork, who recommended and what's shaking Patrick showed at the Patrick solid dude uh, said we should uh, we should connect. Uh, but before we do say goodbye, I always like to, you know, as you said, you've heard the show, so you know how I end. What have you know, is there anything that I have not asked you about? Is there anything you want to put on the table so the audience knows about? Here's your chance to plug Alex Stein, plug the business, plug your future. Uh, please, I invite you to speak a little more about yourself so that the audience knows about you that I haven't maybe not asked about. Well, I appreciate it. I, I The name of my company is The Elite Mindset Coaching, um, theelitemindsetcoaching.com. I'm on LinkedIn and, you know, I work around the world. It's just, it's a global business now. A lot of virtual work is done. My dream is to help as many people going forward as I can with the time I have left on this earth. I helped athletes in the past. And now I want to expand that out into businesses, business teams to help people have success. And that's why, Keith, I really appreciate Patrick as well for connecting us. And you see a lot of like-minded people, the coaching community that, I, that I'm that i with, um, they, they're amazing people out there. And there's a lot of like love and support and empathy going out in this world that we need so desperately. And if I can be a part of that to anybody, just reach out. And I'm here. Let's have a conversation. And in the meantime, everybody keep being human. And Keith, keep sending your message. It's wonderful. Thank you. Awesome. I appreciate that. Alex, I'm going to throw you back in the green room for a moment while I say goodbye to the audience. And then I'm going to come back and walk you out. Okay. Great. Thanks, Keith. All right. Hang tight. I'm going to do this over here. Pull me up there. There we go. Great message. Thoroughly enjoyed the chat. I hope you guys did too. Really dug into this idea of the psychology of coaching, really, and just, you know, pushing a human's buttons. You know, as you guys know, Carter's captaining his hockey team these days. And I talked to him very much about what Alex and I talked about today, which is really trying to connect with his colleague, connect with his, his fellow teammates as human beings. And I guess that's really the message for you guys as we tune out and say goodbye here today in the lab. Connect with the other human next to you. Magic might happen. So, hey, you know where to find me. Monday to Monday, noon central time, live here in the lab. Telling you guys, giving you guys things to do, things to think about. I'm going to get out of here for the day. I'm going to go say goodbye to Alex. Walk him out of the lab. Got a bunch of content we're working on. Uh, again, started the show off with that proposition to you guys. If you're looking to get yourself started, but just don't know how to get started or are thinking about doing something, well, I'll tell you right now, the next year of your life is going to happen anyways. So, um, and if you're looking for somebody to help you get started, I'm going to be here anyways. So come knock on my door. I'll see you guys tomorrow.